Can't get enough of Cthulhu and Cairo? Join our Patreon for as low as $3 per month to access special features and bonus content. You can find us online at patreon.com slash thebardiccollege. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cthulhu in Cairo, a production of the Bardic College. My name is Raz, and as always, I'm your keeper for this evening. Our team of explorers, I'm just going to name them off tonight. We have a lot of ground to cover for you, the listener, and we're hoping to be able to do it in this episode. So... We have Joel playing Sid Poulter, our producer Melinda playing Faye Dawson, Lauren playing Catherine Ross, a very emotional Catherine Ross from last episode, and we also have Aveline Hammond played by Kayla. Finally, we have uh, Scott playing Professor John Schooley. All right, so everyone, you've if you've been listening, uh, you know the characters, you know kind of where we're at. We're in Venice. Um, We're looking for or trying to get information on a book bound in human skin, something that was prophesized by Helen of Lobotsky and uh, is now being searched for by a criminal organization led by a man named Caravaggio. Faye, uh, Catherine, and Sid find themselves en route to a university in Venice to speak to Lucinda Fangini, who we now know had a child with Richard Dawson, Faye's father. Our other two teammates, Aveline and John, are holding down the fort, waiting for a very important meeting that's going to occur later this evening. So we'll say that you arrive at the office, the three of you, and Lucinda's office appears to be open. It does say her little tag under her name placard says in, and the three of you are there. So did you want to knock, burst in? Faye would definitely take the lead, and she would knock and wait for an answer. Okay, so come in. She responds right away. Faye cracks the door and she goes, Hey, Lucinda, it's Faye again. Um, I'm with two of my friends. Can I come in? Of course. Of course, darling. Please, please. Okay, oh, so... She stands up, run, comes walking immediately over from behind the desk. Very affable, very cordial. Hugs you again. Says hello. She says, Mr. Uh, Poulter, yes? Y- yes, yes, yes. It's nice to meet your acquaintance again. <laughs> and... And um, Miss uh, Ross. That's correct. So... My daughter had so much to say about you. Please come in, sit down. Thank you, thank you. We all sit down. I wait for her to sit before mm-hmm. I go. So, Lucinda, um, I know it's been a couple of days. Um, you know I needed to process. I come here, though, to ask you a couple questions that maybe you might be able to answer. Maybe you might have more information. Uh, about your dig? Please, please, ask away. She leans back in her chair a little bit. Faye just goes, so what can you tell me about the Golden Dawn? Okay, uh, you don't need psych checks to see the expression change across her face. She says, ah, it's a Golden Dawn. It's, um, it was a while ago. I was young and um, we believed in a different, it was a different time. I was a member of... Um, the Golden Dawn. Well, this is this is an odd question, Faye. Is are you um, have you been recruited? I mean, their numbers have dwindled, but I I believe they still operate. Uh, are you looking to join? Uh, no, no, I'm not looking to join. I'm just getting some information um, regarding some recent events that have happened um, with me and my group members. With the Golden Dawn. I think that they might be connected, or. 
playing a part. So that's why I'm asking. Can you tell me about the Golden Dawn? Um, it's not what it once was. Uh, it was at one point a mystical society. Um, there were many prominent members, um, especially England and uh, some here in Italy and um, from other countries. There was even a chapter, uh, a fairly secret chapter in the United States, but I, I really don't stay much in contact uh, anymore. I, I left uh, about 20 years ago. And my father was involved in it, correct? See, see, your father was um, one of the reasons I joined. When was this? She recounts the year um, about 23, 24 years ago. So right around the time that Faye's mother had gotten yeah. sick. Started to show signs of her illness, yes. Okay, very interesting. Okay, and what's the what are the what are the core beliefs of the Golden Dawn? Like what do they do? You said they were a mystical society. Do they belong to a certain god or a practice or anything like that? She's starting to get a little bit like this conversation has you know, like where is this going? She says, um, they they are men and women who believe in an existential being that may not be Judeo-Christian. Um, uh, there is a pantheon um, of powers that they pay respect and uh, homage to, but your father could answer these questions uh, probably even better than I. Faye, he was... Um, a higher ranking uh, member than ever I achieved. He's a higher ranking member. Um, yeah, he was there first. He was, um, he, he was involved. Um, when I first met him, he was already involved fairly uh, heavily with them. And you said there were beings. There was a pantheon. Could this include someone by the name of Iwas, Dreamer? See, uh, Awas is a supposedly spirit, um, a dreamer that um, spoke to some of the members that guided them in laying out rules and um, sort of facets in how to live life, how to achieve a higher consciousness. Awas gave up many secrets supposedly to several members of the golden dawn but especially of course um alistair crowley and uh, his wife uh, was there when they first heard of awas and um i don't remember where it was catherine catherine politely puts her hand on Faye's arm like I, I need to i need to say something so this awas thing did it ever did, did you know of the people that have talked to it? Did they ever experience, like, weird things? Alistair uh, claimed uh, to the members that it's what drove Rose insane. How nice. Faye, you really should speak to your father, I think, uh, any more to this subject. I, I'm not... I'm the wrong person. I, I was only in for a few years. No, Lucinda, I already did speak with my father about everything that you and I had discussed. And now I'm also looking for other answers because a ton of sense either. So I'm just trying to make sense as to 
what all this means and why it's coming to deal with me. Deal with you. Well, I haven't exactly had the easiest time these past couple of weeks. I've been targeted. I've been attacked and I'm trying to figure out why and I have a feeling that this ties into it. That's why I'm here asking you information about AWAS, about the Golden Dawn, about your involvement the, with my father. The, the Golden Dawn is hunting? Is 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 hunting you? I don't know if they're I don't know if they're hunting me or if past members are or what, but I've been sought after by name. I've been in danger since I took on this dig to Egypt. So I am just here trying to look for answers and find out what the Golden Dawn is and more about your involvement with my father and about your past relationship with him. I'm sorry, Faye, but why would the relationship I shared with your father for those the time that we were together, why would that have any effect on the Golden Dawn coming for you? I, I don't understand. Now Faye just figures that she's got nothing left to lose. She's just going to put all the cards out on the table. She doesn't really care what her father thinks if he okay. finds out. She just, Faye just goes, I know about the ritual that you participated in with my father and about your involvement there. So can you tell me a little bit about that? No, I, um, I, I don't think that's something I wish to discuss with you. If you have your answers, Faye... I don't think that you need to hear any more of that from me. No, I think I do. Any, yeah, she hasn't gotten any answers. We've been getting wish-washed around. If you, you, I think you know what kind of weird stuff is involved with this. And, you know, if you... God, help, help the people out! Come on! Faye just puts a hand on Catherine's shoulder, who's obviously a little bit more emotional than usual. And she just goes, Lucinda, please, I am just trying to get to the bottom of things. I won't be upset. I know he's my father, but I need to know. Wouldn't you want to know? The details of what happened were... It was a sacred thing. I am not... I do not wish to discuss that with you, um, with anyone. I we did what we did and it's it is done. Your mother, God rest her soul, she she was ill and sick and we there was only so much that could be done and in the end it did not we did not see eye to eye. We did not end it on a comfortable note, but that is between men and women, Faye. You are this is not something I should be discussing with Richard's daughter. Would you rather just talk to me? I can send my friends out, please, no, Lucinda. I don't want to I... speak of it at all. It is hurtful you... for me, too. I was there for a friend, and I feel I was used. I don't want to discuss it anymore. I offered you my friendship. I wanted Rosalina to see you. I invited you into my office. I would help you on your dig. I have no connection to you, but I still have feelings. Your father gave me her. And for that, at least, I am thankful. But now you come in and you demand. It's a private thing. I will not speak of it anymore. I, 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 am, I am going to ask the three of you, please, to go. Favorite apologize to Lucinda. You know, just say, I'm sorry for bringing up old wounds. Just mm -hmm. know that I'm trying to do it for greater good. And then she would leave. And in the back of her mind, she's thinking maybe it'll be easier to get these more intimate details out of her father instead. 
Okay. She might try to call him again. So with a few apologies, uh, some heartfelt, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for this to get awkward, but if you only knew how much danger I was in, you lay the seeds for future conversations and um, the three of you depart and head back to the uh, to the set of rooms at the hotel. John, you uh, why don't you go ahead and give me a roll? Are you sticking on the the darker path or under your regular occult studies right now? Well, first off, um, I I had uh, gone to my luggage and um, some items that I have wrapped up in, uh, in uh, costs and my luggage. I, I find uh, the smaller one and unwrap this unique item on a necklace and I put it around my neck in the books in the the tomes that I'm going through I'm focusing on anything that I could see that would be relating to some sort of uh, evoking uh, evocation um, something that uh, perhaps would be related to helping to call forth uh, something that would be uh, similar to that abomination or would relate to that abomination that we encountered so you're you're sticking more into the into the Cthulian stuff, whatever little bit you have available. I think right now I would be yes. Okay. Just my focus today would be yeah. With the with the with the pertinent of what just happened and the experience we just went through, um, I think that's where where uh, my mind would be leading me. All right, so that it's a hard roll, right? But we'll go ahead and give it a shot. See what see if that John Schooley magic comes up. That is a. 10 and a 1. That's an 11. That's a success. So you get one piece of information that there were several cosmic gods that were kept out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. They were ostracized by the other gods within the tome. They were demanded by Horus to be excluded and one name is above all others Shaktal. Shaktal, which is the uh which is the term that uh that Catherine Correct. When Catherine saw her vision uh on the way from Berlin to Stuttgart, the tentacled figure that was standing tall in the mid of the desert in some sort of um leopard wrap dark onyx skin and uh now Catherine you wherever you are have a moment where the word shaktal comes into your head and it had the same consistency to its skin as what everyone's been referring to as jelly man well that's nice that's like a vision that Catherine had Catherine just john in that weird inexplicable you know, part of the occult, you are reading, and as you see the word Shaktal, somewhere walking back across the canal, arm in arm with Faye, with Sid laughing and lighting up a cigarette, Catherine pauses for a moment and sees the skin of Shaktal, and that, for a brief moment, she gets that visual image, and she puts together that the flesh of the creature is very similar in its consistency and the lacquer that was on it and that goo to the the Egyptian entity that she saw in front of her. Do I get any sense of this projection? No. You got the okay. word. You saw the, the, you know, you're getting into the book. It was Catherine who, boom, 
hits her. So I I, I get uh, I I learn that uh, that he is a basically a stricken god from the Egyptian pan you know pantheon. Yes, Aveline, you have several good leads to um, people that sort of match the description. There are several Americans that are or could be passing for American and Englishman who's you know been able to get his accent somewhat acquired into a more of an American drawl or slang. But you have several men that they've now pinpointed and your guys are saying, believe it or not, we have like three or four of these guys that came up real quick that sort of match the age group and description. The first one was a wash, but we're working on the other two. Just give us time. We'll, we'll, we will find him. So as big as Venice is and a lot of little places people can hide and go, the population itself isn't so staggering. Um, just because of the amount of real estate that's available. Uh, and you're finding that there, you know, things are starting to move at much quicker than even you anticipated. So the group all reconvenes at the oh, hotel. Sorry, sorry, real quick. Yep. Sorry, real quick. Yep. I would just tell my agents also, do not make contact. Inform me. Give me addresses. I will do the main contact stuff, like, if I wanted to talk to them. So. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That. that goes without saying they're not they're normally not in the apprehend and catch business they're in the spot and pass that on to you business so that's part of their their overall they're not looking to get killed that's uh that's a trained killer's job <laughs> so um the rest of the team if everybody's good we arrive back at the hotel it's early afternoon you bring back food uh with you guys for the other two from a little a little restaurant that sits you know half a block block away there's little places to eat and cantinas and cafes and stuff uh, all over the place in Venice. Uh, you share a meal, and as long as it's nothing else is going to change, um, you order a cab to take you up to the Palazzo de uh, Giovanni. You figure the instructions tell you that from Venice to give yourselves 45 minutes, so you order one about 9 o'clock. And uh, if we're all good, just I'm sure you're bringing weapons and stuff. If if you're not, let me know. Or if you are, tell me what. Well, I think, uh, sadly, although I'm better with a rifle, I think it would be a little bit ridiculous to take a rifle. So I will take my uh, 45. Okay. She has her uh, gun in her handbag that she can pull mm -hmm. out at a moment's notice. Okay. Catherine? I bring my 45 bullets for both myself and Sid. Who also has 45s? A bunch of people. Okay, so I bring a bunch of bullets in the medical bag. Yeah, it's the mascot of this of this team, actually. Is a forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very common weapon from back then. Yeah. yeah. Aveline? I've got my usuals, my gloves. I got a knife, mm. a forty-five, mm -hmm. hidden hidden in my pants in hidden pants pockets. Professor Schooley? I have my uh, my dual uh, under the jacket holster. Uh, with uh, both of my 45s loaded. Okay. So the uh, cab does arrive without any other incident. Everybody makes their way downstairs about 9, you know, right around 9. The uh, doorman at the hotel, the night doorman who's there with a key to let people in and out because even though it's Venice, some hotels, especially back then, they, they had a system where, you know, they'd let you in and out. It wasn't just open access 24-7, especially before the invention of cameras and things. A lot of them closed their doors. So this one does. It's a little bit of a smaller boutique hotel, but it has, you know, not so many rooms, but caters to people well. You get into the cab and you speed your way, you know, outside of Venice since your hotel is right on the outside. 
and it, you make your way up, and very, very soon, within a few miles, you find yourself already climbing into the, the foothills um, north of the city, and the, the car is just effortlessly drag, you know, going up these hills, and you pass vineyards, and, um, you know, the, the headlights are on, it's, it's getting dark, uh, because it's nine o'clock in Italy in May. Yeah, yeah, it would art June, early June. It would already be dark. Oh no, I'm sorry. We're in the end of June, right? We were three weeks in Stuttgart. So yeah, so June it would still be somewhat light out at nine. It would almost be it would be you know again very twilight esque. Before you even get to the house, the palazzo, uh, the sun is entirely down. Everybody's it's dark. The car pulls up and there are two men standing outside by the gate, well dressed and. Uh, the driver, you know, makes the car at a side, a slight diagonal, and one of you can roll down the window and introduce yourselves with the uh, note that you know I'm sure you brought. Yeah, we produce the uh, we produce the letter with the with the the wax seal on it, and we say, uh, you know, Signora Arturo, por favor. He looks at it, sees the seal, ah, si, momento, and uh, he motions, and the guy, the other gentleman, walks over unlocks the gate, pushes the two aside. They're big, they're heavy. Um, and he does it pretty effortlessly. Just, they, they definitely swing. There's no noise to them. It's, but they go in, it's manual. And sure enough, the cab driver kind of looks a little bit nervous um, now that he recognizes the address, or at least the Palazzo. People have passed it, but the rumors are no one really goes in. It's rare. So he only drives, He dri- you know, he goes up, quickly makes the the turn by the big staircase here that you can see the mansion is you know two levels high it has a second balcony second story balcony um just describing it for our listeners it's a just a big big mansion um it has a a a side wing off to the to the east that goes out to what appears to be some sort of patio overlooking the surrounding countryside. I mean, it's magnificent. And it is lit up out at night. There's some sort of, you know, lamps. You're not sure if they're electric or not because they do seem to be flickering. So you're assuming there's some sort of an oil lamp all around the, the front of the mansion, uh, keeping it illuminated. And uh, as soon as the cab pulls up, stops, he lets everybody out. And without even a further ado, he's pulling away. Even if you had asked him to stay, he wouldn't have stayed. He would have said, no, no, you can't do that. And wouldn't take the money, you know, just, just, there's no amount that you could have pro-offered him to maintain his, you know, his personage inside the gates. That's just not going to happen. So Wonderful. Yeah. That, and again, it's not that you can't get a car. I mean, there is, there's cars here. You see them parked off to the corner. Uh, you just need a ride back to town. So standing at the top of the stairs are another two men. These have Tommy guns, and they're brandishing them openly inside the uh, the grounds. And you do see one man walking around, you and you just with two beautiful big Doberman pinchers. He's got them, you know, on a leash, and he has a shotgun slung over his shoulder. He's patrolling around. He brings the dogs, you know, out close to where you're standing, and by close, I mean 15, 20 yards. They, he pulls on them a little bit. They just watch you standing there. If you're ready, you can make your way up. They're just, the guards are just kind of checking you out. They don't approach us or question us, so they're just, gotcha. 
Yeah. The ones at the top of the stairs with the Tommy guns, I mean, they're expecting you to walk up. So, but the guy with the dogs, he's just holding them back so that they don't get any closer and scare the ladies or he has no reason. I mean, you came in through the gate. As far as he knows, you're, you know, you're expected and that's fine. Get this over with. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll let John uh, play the card here. John, the one got us into this apparent new nightmare. So, uh, So this this apparent new nightmare. Oh, this time in hell. Uh, All right. So up to the door you go. Um, (laughs) And uh, the two men are standing, you know, at the top of the stairs. They see you approach. The guy on the left starts to walk towards the front door, puts his hand on it, waits for you to announce yourself before he lets you in. He just looks at you, waiting. I introduce myself and say that uh, Senor Arturo is expecting us. Sort of hold my hand out with a letter in it. He looks at it real quick, looks looks at you. Name? Hands it back. John Schooley. See, si, see. Si. He says, please go in. This place is exceptional. There are portraits lining the Grand Gallery. The staircase is marble, and it's two-pronged that goes up to a central foyer, that, and then it splits off left and right to go to the two sides of the house. In the center is a statue did any of you or your characters study any type of art or art or history as part of it? Like, if you have a history skill that's really good, I would say you'd know some art. But, Faye, you have some background. So why don't you go ahead and give me a roll real quick. Oh, that is a that is a hard success. Okay. So you, um, you start to walk like, oh, my God. And you go right up to the, stat- to the statue, and you're looking at it, and... You turn and there's you look at the team and you're like, I think it's a Botticelli. Like, I, I think it's real. And everybody's going, what? This this was supposedly destroyed. Like, this one is only in sketches. I've, oh my god. And you're looking around and you're walking it. Supposedly it was destroyed in a in a church fire, and the roof had collapsed. The statuary itself was supposedly lost. It doesn't look lost. It looks perfectly intact. Yeah, lost. The portraits on the wall, uh, Renaissance, earlier, you see some Byzantian art that you even place somewhere between like the 8th and 9th century. A tapestry is across a very long tapestry that you, Sid, you're sure looks of English design and, you know, not quite Battle of Hastings old, but really, really old. It's just amazing the amount of wealth that's sitting in this foyer. If it's even, and if it's frauds, these are amazing frauds. I mean, they're like nothing you've ever seen. So he's a collector. Yeah, it's a show. It's a show. It's a show of power. Right. And if he's a collector, then he's going to have some very rare piece. I mean, obviously he has a rare piece. So if he has the, this is a very good lead for the Bible, but I'm a little nervous Right. Since he's displaying all this out in the open. Oh, yeah. So the uh, I think the Tommy guns were a good lead-in. This is um, <laughs> very comfy. So yeah, all, lack of caring all of a sudden, off to your left-hand side, you hear a... You look up. I'm going to need rolls. Everybody on your... Let's go with uh, your power. So give me power rolls and let me know what you get. Two. Faye, no. Uh, that is a hard, or is a hard success? No, it's just a regular success. No, 
No, it's a regular success. Okay. And, and John? A 70, so I'm just just missing that. Okay. At a two. Yeah. Catherine, you're not at all enamored by what you see. Uh-huh. Everyone else, including Sid, instantly is looks up and sees perhaps the most perfectly chiseled woman in high heels walking towards them in a tight, tight black dress with just simple pearl earrings and a necklace of pearls walks straight up and it's she is unearthly gorgeous and you're feeling immediately like drawn towards this woman like yeah that's picture in your head as your character the one thing that would make you break an oath bite the apple leave you know leave a friend in a burning building she is already exuding that level of charm grace uh presence she is just it's it's like it's it's nothing you've ever felt before a bride hilarious that Catherine doesn't feel it yeah it a bride walking down the aisle towards her husband would not generate this adoration like nothing it, it this is unreal and she stops and looks at everyone and says good evening i am sofia giovanni um you are here to see Arturo, yes? Uh-huh, yeah. We are, milady. She says, this way, please. And she, she looks at Catherine. Hold up. She looks at Catherine and grins. Catherine, give me a spot hidden roll. 22. That is a hard success. Her smile unnerves you. Her The, the look of her eye makes you take a step back. She's just like, you, I find fascinating. My brother awaits, please. Thanks, lady. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, gang. <laughs> so she... Come on, my chickens. <laughs> Let's go, ducks. ...himself to be up, you know, close to her, following right behind. Yeah. Ew. Yeah, Come there's nothing... And it's not lust. It's... This is the Mona Lisa. This is the most mysterious fascinating creature I've ever put my eyes on. She is literally the most exotic sensual looking thing I've ever seen. And it's affecting the women. The brushstrokes. So she walks you into this magnificent parlor and it's all lit in candles. There is, you're noticing there is no electric light in the house. Everything is done with traditional candles. It's all lit by massive chandeliers that probably have 50 or 60 candles on them um, that have to be lowered, put out, put you know, new tapers put in and lifted every night. Everything about this place just screams opulence. The chair that's off to the right-hand side looks to be almost of a design that a pope would have sat in, like a papal seat. It's tall, red velvet. It's immense heavy wood everything is just off the chains with this guy she says she comes in she says please help yourself to some sherry my brother Arturo will be with you in just a moment and she walks and 
grabs the two door handles and backs out and shuts the door. The minute the doors are shut, the four of you take a deep breath. Like, what the hell? Like, that was, she's, wow. Like, that... That's finishing school. You know, like, that's amazing. <laughs> this, if, if that's what it does, that's off the chain. I don't like her. Right. Of course not. Why I should have dressed a lot nicer for this. <laughs> no. A lot nicer. If that, if that is what his sister looks like, I, I really am unsure if I want to know what the brother looks like. Well, it's not long till Freedom. you find out. <laughs> Probably creepy. So, within a few moments, there is a literally a rap at the door and then it opens up and in comes Arturo Giovanni. He is unnervingly handsome. Oh Um, God. (laughs) He steps in and turns and shuts the door behind him. And he says, I hope my sister made everyone comfortable. Please allow me to introduce myself. I am Arturo. You must be professor John. And he walks towards you, John. I um, hold out my hand and you know, to shake his hand. Okay. And say, yes, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. I'm, I'm John Schooley. Give me a intel roll. That is a 50 on the dot, which is a success. His hand is a, a little cold. Like, doesn't feel that... He has a firm handshake, but it's a little, not going to say clammy, but cool. Like, he's been in a basement, in a wine cellar. He's kind of, you know, that it's just that feeling like he's not been up, you know, around a fire. Not, not there's a small fire tonight just for ambiance in in this room, but there's really not a big, you know, blaze anywhere. But he just he has that feeling of someone who's had a slight chill. And he goes over and says, "Professor, please, um, these wonderful people that you've brought with you to my home, uh, may I be introduced?" Am I still under this, you know, like, like, is he affecting me the, the same way that the his sister did? Like, he just, nope. you know, kind of enamored or? Nope. Okay. No, him, he's just handsome. Okay. Um, you don't so want to sleep with him. Collecting my, collecting my thoughts, um, <laughs> I introduce everyone as Clive Rutland and Sarah Bly and Elizabeth Langford and... Abilene, you need to put your name up on the screen. Olivia <laughs> Coulson. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I introduce everybody by their uh, by their aliases at this point. Okay. So he walks over first to Sid. Sid, he puts his hand out and he said, "It is a pleasure, sir." It's very nice to meet you. You shake his hand. Shake his hand. Your accent, sir. It is the north of London. Uh, well. It's um, it's more east of London, but uh, it's travelled hmm. a bit. It has been many years since I have been in into London. I'm, uh, it is um, a beautiful city. I have enjoyed the few times I've been able to make my a trip there. And he walks over to uh, Faye, and he looks at you. And Faye, give me a sanity roll. Come Please. on, old girl. <laughs> no. Oh no. Not make it. Okay. The girls lost a few marbles. Yeah. Can you see? So you take, you take, he takes your hand and he leans, but he doesn't kiss it. He just bows as if he's going to. You just, you get this creepy chill up your spine. Like just, whoa, what the hell just happened? And he smiles and he says, are you well? Are you, are you okay, ma'am? Yes. Um, I just, uh, I'm afraid I suffer from a, uh, 
a condition where I uh, I faint at a moment's notice. So I'm I'm so sorry if oh. I'm to be feeling a little bit faint now. He strokes your hand. Yeah, he strokes your hand. And Catherine, everybody else give me a uh, spot hidden. I'm not afraid to punch this beautiful man. That is a six. No. I have hearts, but Jeff stole my thunder. So whoever had the hard and critical success, he strokes her hand and all the small hairs on her arm go firing up. Just right up her arm. Like static electricity. And he says, we should sit you down. We don't want you to have a problem or faint onto this floor. It is very old and very difficult. Hard. Please, let me... And he puts his hand on her shoulder and gently guides her over to the couch. Please be comfortable. So literally, her body had a physical reaction to his touch. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, And then Faye just goes, um, Clive, would you mind uh, sitting with me? On this uh, settee, please. No, no, I, I, absolutely. It will, be, it will be. It will be my pleasure. I sit down next to her. Catherine, then, comes up to. You. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Faye. Oh no, Faye just kind of. Um, she just kind of like puts like. Um, she just puts like her hand around his arm just to kind of like feel close to somebody, but also to kind of establish to the guy like, just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to be touched again. Catherine comes up to you, introduces himself. Welcome to my home. He bows. Go ahead and make a sanity roll. This is a very lovely home, uh, Mr. Giovanni. <laughs> well, why don't I... What? That's a, that's a no. I have a 71. Okay. So you actually find yourself having... Um, your heart begins to race. You, you can feel... And he's like... He sits there, he holds your hand, he puts his hand over yours for a moment, and he says, nobody else hears it. He says it, his voice sounds in full, normal octave, but he says, you don't have to be nervous around me, Catherine. He uses her real name? Yes. Uh, um, but we didn't hear that. No. What? He walks over to, to no, no, you. No, no, what? Olivia takes your hand, make a sanity check. Um, oh, great. Oh, great. And my sanity has been ruined by the gelatin monster. <laughs> no. All right. I, I, I made it. It's nothing special, but I made it. I have a 44 right okay. now in sanity. So you, 38. whatever, however he's affected the other ladies, not you. You're good. So you kind of go, thank you. And he says, you know, it is a pleasure to have you in my home. He says... He walks over to a chair, sits down in the papal seat, looks at the group that's now sitting in couches and gathered around, and says, please, crosses his leg. How can I help you? Well, it's uh, it's it's come to our attention that you might be able to assist us in uh, acquiring a certain artifact that we are to understand is in this area. Your friend, Bukati, did tell me that you're interested in an old piece of, uh, an old piece of, uh, diabolic history that was made in Venice many, many years ago. Um, that is correct. I don't mean to pry a man's business as his own, but I do have to ask, because this is such a very s- special item, 
why do the five of you need it? Uh, it's not so much a need for us as a, uh, a prevention to prevent it to falling into the hands of others who may also be seeking it, who we feel may not have the best of intentions in its use. He says, oh, well, intentions, they can be tricky. Indeed. So, your heart is set on this. I cannot attempt in any way to divert you from this course. It, um, it's a difficult path we have set for ourselves, but uh, we are resolute. Well, then let me first say that in order to find this item, I'm going to have to introduce you to somebody that few have ever seen outside of my family. I'm going to have to have this person, this woman, she, he says, explain to you what would be needed in order to get this item for you. I must tell each and every one of you that you are never, and I mean never, to speak of the things that you are about to see. To do so would to break my trust and bring down my wrath. And he says it, and every one of you feels that was serious. Like, he definitely means what he's saying. And I do not like to demonstrate that side of me. So, as gentlemen and ladies, before we go any further into this, tell me now, do I have your word that you will keep quiet the things that you are about to see? I look at the others to see what everybody seems to be thinking Faye gives a very solemn nod to Schooly. You, I'm going with you. Say nods as well. In rather uncomfortable Catherine Ross fashion, she kind of makes a because mm -hmm. this is even more weird shit on top of all the other weird shit. Again, Aveline's trying to play it nonchalant because she's trying to play this hard character. It's like, what's one more secret, right? And nods. Then allow me to bring you to the Senora Nella Scotola. Please, follow me. And he gets up, walks across the room, opens the doors. Does anybody speak Italian as their language? Or Spanish? Because Italian and Spanish are close. They speak Spanish. Anybody else? Portuguese is passable uh, in Spanish at the time, but no, not yeah, enough. Not, not for this. This is a real... Sp it's the way the... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm no, going to no, say I, probably not good. Totally agree. Um, go ahead, Faye. Make a roll. Fingers crossed. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wrong one. Bomber. That would have been yeah. great. That would have sucked. <laughs> oh, that's a long die. I know. I rolled, I rolled a d20 instead of the d100. I'm so excited. Oh, oh, oh my god. Oh, oh look at that. All right, Faye. A five. That is a that is a critical success. He says, yes. he says Senora Nella Scotola, and it means the lady in the box. I don't like that. All right. He walks you across past the giant staircase. He takes you to a side door, opens it. Inside there is a staircase going down. It's a beautiful marble staircase. It's really nice, but it's more narrow. It's not as grand. Even in this room, you're finding 
you know, rare pieces of art. There's a pedestal, and on it appears to be a Fabergé egg. Like you're, you're what? And you're you literally look at it, and it's even cracked open, and you can see what appears to be a small little carriage. One in, of the czar eggs. Right. Excellent, John. Scott. Oh, sorry. Really good. Yeah. John goes, nice Fabergé. Holy shit. <laughs> um, so, and this is in a room that, like, probably isn't used that much. It's not even out on display display. It's in this room. Uh, you go down the stairs, get to a level. He brings you back across under the house. Everything seems okay. Now, this level, again... No ambient windows, no light, you're underground. Still candelabra, you know, candelabras, but no chandeliers. The ceiling's not quite that high. It's about six and a half feet tops. It's not like 10 or 12 foot ceilings. Comes to a door. Takes out a key, unlocks that one. This staircase is wood. And it's circular. And it starts, and there's no burning light in here. So he walks over. And in the corner... As soon as he opens the door, he walks over and picks up a torch, comes over to one of the candles, fires the torch, turns, looks you all standing there in the face. There is no going back once I close this door behind us. And he makes sure everybody is resolute in this, like seriously ready to go downstairs. He really makes this seem appealing, I gotta say. (laughs) Oh, he's just selling it. (laughs) Everything about this screams run. Is this how he, like, you know... I just imagine At least he's good with consent, you know? Like, yeah. And that's like, the takeaway. He's leading us down to a dungeon with a woman in a box. God knows what the hell that means. I think it's vampires, but we're going to find out, so... The whole harmless has been notarized and... <laughs> yeah. Please don't trip on the staircase. So, you go down... And you come to another door. This one is a cell. It's an iron grated, you know, just this door, like a prison, an old time pirate's prison cell. Puts the key in, and then instantly you hear, Help me. Oh, help me. He's like, Ignore him. And he. And he starts walking down the stairs. It's this cavernous area, this huge basement of stone. And in it, as he comes down, he starts lighting torches so that your descent is safe. You come into this, it's sort of a half circle of, of old stone stairs. They're chipped, they're you know broken in places, but it comes down. And when you get there, sure enough, it looks something straight out of a horror film. Devices of torture. Um, the pendulum from Pit and the Pendulum takes up the center of the room. Iron Maidens. And from inside one of those you hear, Help me! Help me! And he's like, Excuse me just a moment. And he walks over and you hear him whisper, <laughs> The guy stops crying for help and just cries. He says, we have farther to go. Come. And he starts walking across this gallery of pain that you see. Spider webs everywhere. You see two or three p- 
people that are, if they're not dead, you don't know how, chained up to the wall. They're just in a state of just decay, broken, you know, like just their limbs not shaped right any longer, pulled long from being so long inside the these manacles six feet off the ground. There's hot pokers in fire that is still glowing hot. So the coals are still red. So somebody's been down here recently. You don't know who. Um, and he comes to another door. And it's just a solid, you know, arched door with heavy, heavy black hinges. And he takes the key ring one last time, clicks it open. And he has to literally force his body against it because he's pushing with his shoulder. And it gives way. There is only one thing only on the floor in the center of this room. And it is that box. box. It is not a coffin. It's about three and a half to four feet long and about three foot wide. Trunk. It looks like... It's a steamer trunk. Well, it's an old antique box is what it is. And he walks, he gets everybody in and he says, we will find out exactly how to recover your book. And he kicks the box and you hear, oh, oh, Arturo, Arturo, please. Please, what? Is it you? See, and he cracks it open inside before I describe it. Give me a sanity check. 47, thank God. Why do I keep rolling 90s? 52. Yes. I believe that's a hard success for a 44. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, all of you make your rolls, whatever. You better be prepared to carry Faye out over your shoulder also, out of this because there's no coming back for her. Also, who's hardened? We're not, this isn't Thulean, right? Oh, yeah, it's not Thulean. I'm hardened. Right, so you yeah, take I'm less. Hardened. Faye, you only take three points. Anybody hardened takes one. Who else, and anybody else make it? Even though I got a hard I made success? It. I made it. One. Okay. You still throw one? No, no, no. I'm hardened, but I made the roll. That you still lose one. 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 Because there's, yeah. no, I'm not uh, using okay. dice against you. So, uh, the two that made it, Sid, you lose, ooh, four points, even though you made it. And Catherine, I don't you lose know one point. I'm... Okay. Even if you make it by a lot? It doesn't... Okay, look. The way sanity works is you can make it and not suffer the D8 loss. You take half. So, okay. I rolled D4s for you and Catherine. I rolled a D8 for Mel. Mel just happened to get a two. You happened to get a four. But it's random. So, even if you make it... You're not taking the full brunt, but there are some things that are so bad, and I'm about to explain it, that your mind can't handle what you're seeing. And although I... this isn't Thulean, it's not nice. So I get that. I get so... that. I had never. I have next wife. I get that. Yeah. Keeper, I apologize. I'm hard boiled. Where would hardened be? No. So is you that just... your archetype? I still only rolled a one for you, so it doesn't matter. We'll go through hard. Okay. What that difference is. Okay. So Thank as you. he lifts the lid. You see a puddle of flesh. There are no bones. It is a puddle with a face of skin. And the mouth goes, Arturo, please, it's been so long. I have friends here. Don't embarrass me. Come, Professor John, come. And you walk up. The face is spread wide. 
She has been in this box so long her bones have rotted. She is now just a cadaverous mass of flesh kept alive. How you don't know. But she is literally just this... It's the shape of the box. That's all that's left of her and her face sits on top of it. And she looks at you and she says... And he puts the fire down towards her and he says, I'm never, ever going to kill you. But I can make your time so much worse. And he looks at you, John, and he says, Tell her what you're looking for. I I lean down closer to the box and I <laughs> I just feel like I, I, I have to whisper, I can't I can't find like force enough to make volume with my voice. He smiles and at you, I, Sid. <laughs> and and the, the words that come out of my mouth first are, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, he's never going to forgive me. I'm here. We're here to find something and you're the person that can help us see see i i have i have the sight i, I have the sight i can tell you what you need to know we seek um we seek a book a, a book of sin that is bound in flesh you seek you seek that book? We do. Her eyes jump over and she's trying to find him. Arturo! Arturo! And he's like, he pushes you out of the way for a moment. He says, what? She says, you know who has this book. That's why bring them to me. You know who has this book? He's like, because you're going to tell them how to get it. But she's... It's her most prized possession. She will never let it go, Arturo. What do you want? And he reaches in and pulls up part of her skin and touches the torch to it. And the smell and the screams will haunt you forever. It is the most painful, god-awful scream you have ever heard. And he says, I asked you how to get it! Now tell him! And he lets her go, and her, she reshapes, and she's like, she has to go back. They have to go back to, to, they have to go back to when it was made, Arturo. She never let it out of her sight. It's the only way. They have to go back. He's like, and can you do it? I cannot travel. Can they do it? See, see, they can do it, but the spell is, is hard, Arturo. It'll kill, it'll, it'll take everything that you have, there will need to be blood. There will need to be sacrifice. I, I can't do this alone. He's like, I didn't ask you to do it alone. How long? Three days. It'll take me three days. He looks at you and says, Fine. This is what we're going to do. And he slowly starts to shut the lid. She's like, no. Please, whoever you are, tell them I'm out there. Tell them I'm alive. Tell them I'm still alive. And he shuts it. And he looks at you and he says, 
In three days you will come back. And in three days I will give you a task to complete and I will send you to when you can get the book. And by send, I mean just that. And he holds the torch in front of him looking at all of you. He goes, because my friends, I cannot make this trip. But you can. Still with beating hearts, still with souls, you can go where I cannot. And you are going to get something for me while you are there. A simple task. And I will get you your book. But fail me. And you will be in here, in a new box beside her. And he pulls the torch back and he says, Come! It is time to go. And he opens the door. And you keep hearing the box go. She's trying to move inside. She can't. She's just, it just rattles a little bit. He stops for a second, walks over, and kicks the shit out of the box. He just slams into it. And she screams. He looks around. And he walks over. And in the corner is a spider. And he grabs it. And he walks over and he opens the case. And she's like, Arthur, I can't. And he drops it in. And he shuts the box. And he goes, maybe I come back in an hour and take it out. Let's go. And he spits. And he shuts the door behind you leads you back all the way through the house. The, you are in absolute shock. And he walks you. There's a car waiting with its lights on already. He opens the door and he says, three days, this hour, 10 p.m. And he looks and he goes, and I can find you if you are not here. Be prompt, my friends. There's going to be a lot to do. And he shuts the door behind you. And that is where we will end. I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. Um, oh, Twisted man. I want to thank- Hold on. I have to do a sanity roll for myself, for Melinda. <laughs> of course, I make that one, not the other ones. Of course. Okay, whatever. Of course. So it sounds like we're going to be doing some time traveling. Um, we're going to be going back into the past to try to find this book before it was made or when it was being made so we can take it out from the hands of the owner. Um, there's going to be a lot more to find out, a lot more stuff going on, a lot of magic, a lot of creep. So I can't wait. Join us next time. And I want to thank my players for an amazing episode. Good job, guys. You were fabulous. I want to thank Arturo Giovanni. He was such a such a lovely person. And from, oh, joy. Joy and from all of us from the Bardic College at Cthulhu in Cairo, we want to say good night, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.